Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl. Welcome back to Cage Rage. It's episode 7 of Cage Rage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Can you see what I did there at the start? I did a little intro. A very budget, cheap intro that I couldn't figure out how to get onto the recording program. So I just played it back from my phone. Did it sound cheap? Because it feels cheap. It feels very representative of the quality of this podcast, and some might say the quality of Nicolas Cage's acting. But to those people, I say, you shut your silly mouths. So how are you doing? You alright? You good? It's the end of the week, it's Friday. Apologies, it's another late one this week. Not as late as last week in that it's a whole day later, just a few hours. Uh, Honestly, the reason for that being, as I've uh, referenced in previous episodes, back at the old job. Back at the old job. Now, that's, that's, that was weird. Um, <laughs> very weird to be back in the midst of all the uh, coronavirus going off. The last time I was there, I was staring HR in the face and getting my ass made redundant. Might as well have been a glass smash. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Stunned. You're redundant. Here's your last month's pay. Go fuck yourself and hope for the best. And now, they've offered me a job back. I've gone crawling back with my tail between my legs. So gone. Other days, the halcyon days, where I would wake up at 10, 11, 12, with a headache because I'd overslept, and then look at my phone and think, oh, Jesus, got a got a big day of sitting down to do. And now I just have to sit down for official purposes in front of a computer, uh, whilst doing the bare minimum of maintaining two metres distance, social distance from people around me. I was like, say, weird to go back, and you sort of want to know what kind of protections that you've got by going back to work. So join a union. That's adult. That's good. That's the thing that I've did. Now I can just tell people, oh yeah, you know, it's not too bad, this, that, and the other. Um, here's what it is like. I joined a union. I joined a union. That's that, that's that's a conversation ramper-upper, that is. That's the proper throbber of all conversations now. So now I can go and uh, speak to HR with slightly more confidence and definitely not a chip in my shoulder. Uh, because I'm definitely, definitely over being fired. I mean, that being said, I did ask them, you know, this disease, not great, is it? Um, can I can I just instill my right as an employee and see the risk assessment that the company's done about what the protections they're putting out there for the staff? Uh, and their response basically was, lol, no. So that's where I am. That's where I am now. Um... Podcast-wise, trying to make it, hopefully, a little more insulated in the sound. Literally, if you could see me, I have a blanket over my head to try and capture some, not all, but some of the excess sound, try and reduce the echo a little bit. I would get those foam pads that the professional voice actors use, um, but 
contractually speaking, not allowed to put anything up in these walls. So that's what that is. Doesn't matter though. We've got the podcast here. We've got a new film to discuss. We've got the crack and rum. Mm-mm-mm. Daryl loves his crack crack. Mm, crack crack. Snap my back and give it a crack. Throw me in the bin and don't call me back. I love the kraken. So we move on to episode seven. And it's his last film of 1986. It is the American drama, fantasy, comedy, Peggy Sue Got Married. So got done watching this one last night. And this is one of those films where as soon as I've come out of it, I thought, you know what? That's actually a a pretty, pretty good film. Pretty good film, which I would recommend uh, people checking out. So this is another film which has the team, uh, the uncle-nephew team of uh, Francis Ford Coppola and Nicolas Cage Boys. The Cage Boys, back in the saddle, no need to haggle, wiggle, wiggle, waggle, waggle. we got the leading duo, Kathleen Turner, playing the titular Peggy Sue, and Nicolas Cage playing Charlie. He's probably got a last name. Did I remember it? You know I didn't. And it was written by the husband and wife duo of Jerry Letchling and Arlene Sarna. So uh, in terms of success, this one was quite the opposite of the last film, The Boy in Blue. This was actually a success at the box office, received critical reviews, positive reviews across the board, thanks in no end, obviously, to Nicolas Cage, and was nominated, get this, for three, no less, Academy Awards, Best Actress for Kathleen Turner. It got the nod for Cinematography and Best Costume Design. And there was also a nomination for Kathleen Turner at the St. Geordie Awards. No, me neither. Uh, For Best Foreign Actress. And not only that, 86% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, making it Francis Ford Coppola's first box office success since that film with the helicopters in it, Apocalypse Now. Kathleen Turner will also win the 1986 Award for the Best Actress from the US National Board of Review of Motion Pictures, and the film itself would rank at number 17 on Entertainment Weekly's list of the 50 best high school movies. So, um, this one, like I say, thematically, um, spiritually, quite similar to a film that came out very closely in the same time frame, Back to the Future, with time-travelling teenagers. Whereas Back to the Future was more about, don't fuck your mum if you can help it. This is, oh, what if I go back 25 years and I'm still angry at my boyfriend for getting with that bloody bimbo. So what I really enjoyed about this, though, in fact, um, what I enjoyed more than the film about Becky Sue Got Married was some of the absolute backstage gossip mongering, the hot goss. And you know your boy's good for the hot goss, so stick with me because you are going to fucking love this as much as I did. Um, There's a little bit of hot goss about our boy Cage on this one. And Kathleen Turner's got those loose lips. She's given us all the inside information on this one. Now, she stated that Francis Ford Coppola was contractually obligated to finish the film on time or lose the final cut privilege, meaning that people on the film, the cast, the crew, they're working 20-hour days, six days a week to deliver the movie on time. Which um, is one of the things you just, you don't you don't really think about it at the time, all the effort that goes into the behind the scenes of stuff like this. Um, but more so than that, she was a bit more, oh God, I'm so excited to tell you this. She was a bit more upset at uh, little 
Nephew Cage and has spoken numerous times about the hardships of working alongside the greatest actor of our generation. Uh, In fact, in her 2008 memoir, and here is a direct quote, she wrote that Nicolas Cage caused so many problems. He was arrested twice for drunk driving and I think once for stealing a dog. When I first read this, right, that Nicolas Cage stole a dog, Part of me was like, what? But then the other part of me with a rational brain was like, (laughs) of course he did. So uh, she goes on to say, he'd come across a chihuahua he liked and stuck it in his jacket. Jesus Christ. On the last night of filming, he came into my trailer after he'd clearly been drinking heavily. He fell on his knees and asked if I could ever forgive him. I said, not right now. I have a scene to shoot. Excuse me. And just walked out. Nicholas didn't manage to kill the film, but he didn't add a lot to it either. For years, whenever I saw him, he'd apologise for his behaviour. I'd say, look, I'm way over it, but I haven't pursued the idea of working with him again. So, on that alone, you have to pose the question, who are you siding with here? Is it Team Kathleen or is it Team Cage? Uh, You know, the, the actress, the amazing actress who won awards and was nominated for prestigious awards for this film... Or the drunk man who stole a small rat dog. I can't... Genuinely incredible, right? Uh, And this isn't even the end of it, but... What was abundantly clear here, and not just behind the scenes, but in his... Fuck me. In his performance as well. This was a turning point on the Cage Rage scale. This was a big turning point. Now, you look to the later films and you think, Jesus Christ, he screamed a lot. Now, he didn't scream a lot in this film... But the signs were there that he was fucking losing it. And I this made me enjoy the film a thousand times more. A thousand times more, right? Uh, but the backstage, con- <laughs> the backstage controversies don't just end there. Um, Kathleen Turner also criticised Cage for his decision to adopt a nasal fry for his character. Cage said he based it on Pokey from The Gumby Show and to wear false teeth. In response to Turner's claims that he had driven drunk and stolen a chihuahua, Cage sued her for defamation and won. There we go. Look, the greatest actor of our generation and the greatest legal mind. In exchange, he received a public apology from Turner, admission from her publisher that the claims were false and defamatory, and a pledge that Turner and the publisher would make a substantial donation to charity. So look at that. He's been slandered. From the get-go, he's took it to court, and he's won. Now, legally speaking, that's a big hog move. During an interview in 2018, Turner commented on Cage's nasal voice that it was tough not to say, cut it out, but it wasn't my job to say to another actor what he should or shouldn't do. So I went to Francis. I asked him, you approve this choice? It was very touchy. He, Cage, was very difficult on set. But the director allowed what Nicholas wanted to do with his role, so I wasn't in a position to do much except play with what I'd been given. If anything, Cage's portrayal only further illustrated my character's disillusionment with the past. The way I saw it, yeah, he was that asshole. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on this a bit more later, but the voice that he does in this film, and me, <laughs> me talking about it really isn't going to do it the justice that it deserves. Um, And 
if nothing else, it's worth watching the film alone just to try and understand. Or if if you're in that kind of mood, just feel confused about what the hell it was he was trying to do. I mean, as Cage's number one fan, uh, you know, you know that your boy, Doubly Dangerous Delicious Dynamite Diamond Boy Daryl Edge, he's going to step behind Cage every step of the way. I will never judge any of his uh, acting choices except when I do, because I'm allowed to contradict myself. This is my show. Um, but it's just incredible. Just incredible. And we'll, again, we'll talk a bit more about this a little later on. Um, but the other thing that I saw as well um, was a, a two-sentence description about a musical that was also based on this film. And uh, let me tell you, when I start reading this, and it's two sentences... It's two sentences. When I start reading this, you will have no idea where this sentence is going to end up, right? Okay? You ready? (laughs) The film was later adapted into a full-length musical production which opened in London's West End Theatre District in 2001. Although it received positive reviews and a significant financial advance, 9-11 forced the show to close early. Did you see that coming? Did you have any idea that was coming, right? So the only thing that can stop a full-on portrayal of another actor doing a Nicolas Cage is literally a terrorist attack. Holy shit. When I tell you that I screamed reading that, Jesus Christ. So, stealing dogs... 9-11, Nicolas Cage with a weird-ass voice, and we've not even started talking about the film yet, right? I know we're 10 plus minutes in, Um, so (laughs) I know this is a lot to take in, I'm throwing a lot at you early doors here, but Jesus Christ, the backstories sometimes make these films even better to watch. I had an amazing time watching this. We'll get into this film cap, uh, this film recap, this review, this analysis the right way. And you know that we're starting this film off the right and only way. When at 1 minute and 36 seconds, after the opening credits of Peggy Sue, the song by a band that sang it. I should really should do some more research into this. It's not what I'm all about. 1 minute 36, we have our first confirmed cage sighting. Now, the only thing here which sort of dulls my excitement by 1%. And it's that's still a modest 99%, was that, honestly, I couldn't tell it was Nicolas Cage at first. I know, I know, that's coming from me. I'm as shocked as you are. Because when you see him, he's on an advertisement, right? And he has this white tasseled cowboy jacket on, uh, what looks like some strange Rod Stewart-esque hair. Um, honestly... The first thought that came into my head, and maybe this is just the way that I think after seeing him, he looks like lightning had struck a shrimp. Baffling. And the nasally voice we were talking about, right? So, first of all, not only are we making cage history, but witnessing the first time he's made a huge acting decision like this. Absolute scenes from start to finish. Uh, You know, knowing that he looked like this, and that he stole a chihuahua, allegedly, it's genuinely fascinating. Genuinely fascinating. Um, So we see him on TV as a high-energy, 
local presenter on a commercial selling appliances. And the voice he has, it's like... How do you describe it? It's like him, Nicolas Cage, doing an impression of Donald Trump before people started doing Donald Trump impressions. So Donald Trump is something somewhere more like, my name is Donald Trump, United States president, great president. But then this just makes it incredibly more nasally. It's much higher up in the, in the head. It's behind the nose. And he sounds something like this. Oh, Peggy Sue. I love you so much, Peggy Sue. Oh, Peggy Sue. So just imagine, the and I'm not exaggerating, the whole film, this is how he sounds. This is how he sounds, right? And Jim Carrey's awesome in this film as well. And, you know, at this time, you'd expect Jim Carrey to be making some pretty wacky acting choices as well. But he looks fucking sane compared to this. And I love every fucking moment of it. So his daughter's watching this advert that is on, right? Um, As we learn, his ex-wife, Peggy Sue, he's not having it because Cage had left her to raw dog some other woman. Now look... Kathleen, Peggy, I don't want to hammer it home and sound like a broken record. This is how he operates. This is Cage 101. Gets his dogs and off he jogs. You cannot bottle that kind of lightning. So Peggy Sue's off to attend a high school reunion, but it's the 80s. She's worried that people are going to ask about the the dissolvement of the relationship. Uh, Worried that people are going to ask her about Charlie. And to be honest... um, if I heard that Nicolas Cage was going to turn up to my high school reunion and only the partner of Nicolas Cage was there, it'd be my first question as well. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he going? I want to know everything about what's going on in your life and spare me no detail. So we learn that Charlie's uh, a fairly a fairly big wig, a medium to big wig, um, and she's worried about what people will say. Again, as we've been saying, very, very natural reaction uh, Jim Carrey as well. He's at the reunion. He's got a buzz cut. He's also big wigging it. And I'm thinking at this point, look, Carrey, uh, nothing but love for Jim Carrey and everyone knows that you were the mask, but I won't have this gimboid taking a single piece of the cage man's thunder. He is the weather. He is the lightning. He is the thunder boy. If he was a weather warning, the colour of his weather warning would be red. He's a red weather warning of a man. So let's just put that to one side. And know your fucking place, Carrie. Know your fucking place. Ace Ventura is coming up for you. Hang got a minute. Bugger off. Uh, there's a lot of similar looking men in the background of the reunion as well. I could have sworn that one in three men were definitely Columbo. Um, and even though IMDB exists and you could just look it up, um, you can't prove me wrong and I'm going to die on that hill. So one nil to me. Peggy Sue's friend is with her, having a little chat about men, saying that you need to think of men like houses and trade up. Now, with all due respect, probably a very bang on analogy 30 years ago, but there's no way you could have ever predicted the housing market as it is now. Because men, let me tell you, they're natural renters. And they're scum. And don't get me started on landlords or neighbours. Ian! Like the other day, right, I was taking... Again, it all seems to relate around me taking the bin out. This is when he gets me. He started walking down the alleyway. And he was shouting like, Oh, here he is! Here he is! The neighbour's out! He's finally out! Like, to me, um, as if me leaving the house was completely unnatural phenomenon. Now, I didn't remind him that we were in the middle of a pandemic. 
I did. I just thought, you know, ignore him. Maybe he'll go away. And then he just out of nowhere said, "Oh yeah, I've just uh, just come back from an X-ray. What X-ray was it in? What X-ray was it? Were they looking for the boring in your fucking system? Because I've found it." So Peggy Sue's dancing with Richard, a former geek turned billionaire, proper proper Steve Jobs, proper Bill Gates, uh, wing wanger. Uh, as uh, this is happening, Charlie bloody rocks up, doesn't he? He's immediately, and obviously, the most popular guy at the reunion. Again, his voice is so strange. Hey, everybody, how's it going? Uh, good to see you. Oh, Peggy Sue. Oh, Peggy Sue. Just imagine here that Nick Cage is dressed as Christopher Walken, doing that impression, and you're halfway there. So they renounce the reunion king and queen. It's Peggy Sue and Richard. Not Nick Cage. It's a term for the books. It's a twist. Um, not a single Cage in sight, which quite frankly makes this one of the biggest travesties in cinematic history. And I put that up there with that Superman film starring Nicolas Cage that was never released. You remember that? Remember how that was almost a thing? I think Tim Burton was sent to uh, sent to direct it. Only he could handle the mighty force of Cage in latex. Um, it's going to be Superman with long hair, but Nicolas Cage's face. Ah, oh, what? A, how much better, right? This world would have been if we'd had that film. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. You can't do it. Now, because of the fact that the Cage films of Superman were never released, Peggy clearly feels the same way, and she takes a dive and faints on stage. Peggy wakes up in a blood bank in 1960. It's a uh, little blood drive at the high school. But the most confusing thing here isn't just Peggy Sue trying to understand her surroundings and what has happened here. It's the fact that Nicholas... It's the fact that Nicolas Cage suddenly appears with a pompadour, with a pretty tidy pompadour, right? And he's doing a Dracula impression. He just appears, he goes, blah, 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 I want to suck your blood. It is fascinating. He's cracking out vampire puns like, I made a deposit and now I want to make a withdrawal. Because it's a blood bank. Get it? Uh, Peggy's friends drive her back home, probably for the best. And uh, tequila's on, just like, just like at the, uh, the start of the episode. Look at that. Film and podcast progress, making magic. Me and Cage, Cage and me, stealing dogs and talking hogs. Now, Peggy, understandably, very emotional about seeing her family again uh, and seeing her sister. Uh, her sister says that Peggy is probably the weirdest teenager that she's ever met, but I think... And I think this is a fair point. If she ever saw Count Cagula, right, she'd assign that title to its rightful victor. Gotta say, though, Peggy Sue's childhood home is really big. So naturally, fuck the baby boomers. You lot got cheap housing and life savings. We got OnlyFans and depression. So Cage picks up Peggy and he brings up a conversation that they've had uh, prior to her going back in time. Um, about seeing other people. So you see, it doesn't matter what era, it doesn't matter what decade, Cage is raw dogging on the brain. And not only that, he explains that he's got a three-year plan of how to break up with Peggy Sue because he's such a considerate gentleman. I mean, honestly, no one, no one else is doing it like Cage. Why break up over text or a Twitter 
when you can pad it out over a thousand days. No more heartbreak. Easing, easing, easing. Now, Peggy also, uh, at this stage, just fucks an algebra test right off. So she's got no use for it. And you know what? Massive respect to that. Um, it's been a while since I was had to do any algebra in a maths lesson at high school. Um, so where's, where's your algebra now, Roy Springett? Where's your algebra now? Uh, and and I'm, I've got a lot of respect for that. I stand, Peggy, for the maths boycott. Cage and Jim Carrey. Not only they act in a storm, they're standing, Peggy, for the mass boycott as well. Nothing but respect. Um, I mean, when you stand up to authority, right, that's how you earn Cage's hog. However, Peggy wants to meet Richard, the billionaire from the future, after school. So is it is it long-term planning? Is she saying no to a sly on the side Cage Rory? A little raw dogger? If she is... You know, I don't want to, I don't want to throw around terms so early, but that's a controversy, the likes I have never witnessed before. However, Cage he realizes getting a bit of the silent treatment. He retracts his three-year plan, but Peggy she still remembers what happens in the future. She's having none of it. So, goes without saying that hell hath no fury like a woman scorned twenty-five years in the future. Peggy asks Richard if time travel is possible, and he explains he thinks it's like a burrito, as one part will fold over and just, just touch the other side, and you can fill it with whatever you want. Much like raw dogging, um, you know, raw dogging, uh, Nick Cage films, um, telling Ian to go fuck himself, the possibilities are endless. Pisu confides in and convinces Richard that she's actually from the future, and she wonders if she might have died at the reunion when she fainted. So Richard suggests that she get hit by a fire truck. The test of theory. Oh, the 60s. What a time. Just like the algebra, she says, fuck that. So honestly, absolute credit to this hero because she's making a lot of big plays here and she's knocking them all out of the park. Or as I call it, Nick Cage's acting career. Knocking it out of the park every single time. Uh, Peggy's mother sort of pleads with Peggy just to sort of tell her, let her know what's going on in her life, and in no uncertain terms, tells her to stay away from Nicolas Cage's penis. Ha 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 ha. You fool. You act like people choose to stay away from cinema's greatest hog. Uh, Speaking of which, Charlie arrives at her house, and her dad is asking Charlie about her new behaviour. A bit more carefree, a bit more free-willed. Um, that is not what he's seen to be the behaviour of a 1960s woman. I don't know. I wasn't there. But Cage, in all of this, he's tucking into a lovely little Rice Krispie square. A bite of square. It really commands the scene, honestly. His jaw, um, even with his fake teeth, he's surprisingly wide. Like an anaconda, that jaw. His jaw is wider than an anaconda, and let me tell you this. This anaconda really do want some of those buns, hun. Cage gets Peggy a little flower brooch and gig tickets. What a romantic. Uh, now next up, and I can't tell you how happy I am to explain this. Cage, Carey, and two other bozos perform as part of a barbershop quartet. When I tell you that my blood was rushing about my person and engorging my gentle areas, 
I, I do not lie. I do not lie. This was a scene I didn't think I was going to see so early. Cage in a barbershop quartet. Um, now, admittedly, I did actually miss the name of the group when the film was playing, but to eliminate any doubt, the name of the group was definitely Nick Cage and the Raw Dogs. Um, if anyone wants to form a tribute act to that act, hit me up immediately. Um, at Cage underscore podcast on Twitter, at Cage Rage Pod on Instagram. Um, and we can we can sort out who gets what role, except for the fact that I definitely have dibs off Cage. And also they're wearing gold jackets, they've got ties on, tight jeans. Cage asks Peggy about Richard and his science, that bloody nerd. But in his own words, Who needs science when we've got chemistry? Brilliant. Just honestly, such so smooth. So smooth. If none of the listeners use that line, even if you are in relationships to really spice things up, you know, uh, then, you know, I hate to say it, you're cowards. You are fools. And if you do, and you're single, prepare to be married. It's going to happen. Um, if you are in a relationship, prepare to get real fucking spicy. I'm talking cage levels of salsa. And it goes without saying, of course, that they immediately start tonguing each other. Um, I mean, when you've got chemistry that good it's the natural reaction so they go out to uh in the car to some other kind of lover's lane since be all the rage in the 60s doesn't it these little lover's lanes uh, have you got one by you have you been there what's cage there answers on a postcard please so peggy naturally after a song performance and a line like that naturally asks charlie to raw dog her like serving herself up on a bloody platter here but 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 but, but cage resists he says, we're supposed to wait until marriage. And she'd like, uh, shooed his advances previously, so he doesn't really know what's going on. But what I really want to zone in on here, um, and to make abundantly clear, is that Peggy Sue called Cage's Wang, and I quote, his throbby thrill hammer. His throbby thrill hammer, Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm, I'm probably gonna take that, um, but after all, that's that's the ups and downs of the relationship for you. So Charlie freaks out. He gets a little bit angry with all that's gone on between them, um, and he just gets them out of there. He doesn't want to know. He can't just toy with Cage's hog if you want the raw dog. And I'm I'm sorry, Peggy. It's just it is the rules. I don't make them. I just abide by them. And you do well to understand and follow the same. But um, Peggy isn't fulfilled. You know, she was so close to the hog, but she still wants a Nick Cage proper throbber throbby thrill hammer. So she meets up with Michael. He's uh, very douchey. You know, in today's day and age, this is what would be described as a douchebag. He's a real beatnik kind of guy, leather jacket, hates Ernest Hemingway for pretentious reasons. Like, you know the sort, though. You've probably seen the kind of people who click their fingers when they agree with something. These people still exist, actually. like You can go to a charity store once, and go to a little cafe once, and suddenly you're listening to audiobooks. All of you, you clicky shit bags, right? Uh, stop it. Stop clicking. Grow up. Clap like a normal person who were impressed by TikToks of people making the wee-thee music with the glass bottles like me. Incidentally, really good TikTok. I'd go and... Go and check it out. 
So Peggy goes with Michael to the beach. Michael performs a one-man show for her, which which really is the problem with open micers, isn't it? Uh, any excuse to uh, do a bit, and they're all over it. Um, that, for some reason, for him, it works. Um, never worked for me, though, so apologies to the Daryl of, you know, six to eight years ago. Uh, but life is full of mystery. I, in case you're wondering, I used to do a brilliant impression. It was really good. A great impression of a flamingo stepping on Lego. Um, never got the reaction it deserved, but I was, I was ahead of my time, just like Nicolas Cage. Uh, anyway, I digress. They raw dogged. Um, it's very strange to see a raw dog on screen and not have Nick Cage involved with it. Um, I, I mean, I suppose realistically, if you want to think about it on a technical scale, he was more or less responsible for the four play stage. So, um, I guess it counts on a technicality. So I'm, I'm going to give him a pass on this. I'm going to, I'm going to call that as his raw dog in effect. Um, so I mean, seven films in seven raw dogs given or implied. This is honestly the greatest streak since the undertaker at WrestleMania. Uh, so the day after Charlie apologizes to Peggy for putting the brakes on the hog train, but you know, it's because he loves her and that's, that's respect. That is, you don't just go in with a hog, um, just because you can. You do it because you love someone and you respect them. And that's the kind of chivalry that Nicolas Cage is bringing back. Chivalry's not dead. It's not dead. It's been on life support for a while, but Nick Cage is bringing it back. Nick Cage is bringing it back and we should all support him in his endeavours. Peggy's friend finds out from the hot gossip train that she and Michael banged on the beach. Dolores, classic fucking Dolores, mouthing off already. I'm sick of it, Dolores. I think you need to wind your neck in. Um, Just my opinion there. Her friends are really upset about it, but Peggy tells them it was just one date. And one day, you know, what's a hog? What's a hog between strangers, you know? (laughs) Because, uh, you know, women uh, truly are from Venus. Truly are from Venus. They are your fire, your desire. Now, it's not just uh, Peggy that's found out about the gossip getting around. Charlie has found out about it too. He was a passenger on the hot goss train. He sneaks into Peggy Sue's room at night. And I swear to God, and again, this is one of those things you think, was this really in the script? Um, Because he genuinely, and I'm not making this up, he genuinely goes to kill her. He has a pillow over her face, right? Um, He's millimetres from suffocating this girl. Um, I mean, again, was he justified? Team Cage, Team Kathleen, let me know answers on a postcard. He's heard about her in the Scuzz Bowl, old Michael Fitzsimmons, the beatnik douchebag. Um, he has a chat with her and he says, look, I don't know why you've done this. Uh, he says, I've got the hair, I've got the teeth, I've got the eyes, I've got the car. Head, shoulders, knees and toes above the rest of them. And you know he is. He's the lead singer. He's the man. He's not accepting this breakup. And to be fair... Um, between his teeth and his band and his acting. Um, all really strong points. Very strong points. So they have a little argue, and Peggy explains, <laughs> spoilers, that his dreams don't pan out, and she doesn't want to be blamed when it all falls apart. And Charlie says, you know what, I'm going to prove you wrong. And he storms out, um, despite the fact that he nearly killed her. A masterclass in emotive acting here. A masterclass in how to manipulate the emotions for a powerful scene. 
uh, you know, Nick Cage, he stood up, he sat down, he moved to the left one time, and that's how you do drama. This is coming from someone who has a um, a B grade in GCSE drama, so I think I'm qualified to talk about this, all you naysayers out there. Uh, I did a Scottish accent in my final piece, went down a right tree. I said things like, no. I mean, that's how you do drama. And EastEnders, whilst you've got some time off for COVID, they could really learn a thing or two, okay? So Peggy and Michael, the beatnik scuzzball, they have another gathering. And Michael says that after they graduate, they should move to Utah. They should raise some chickens. Um, or that her and his friend should raise chickens and he'll just do some writing. But it's a no from Peggy. Strong no from Peggy. And Michael says they should give it a shot. Uh, this is the thing, this is the thing with guys, you know. Not only are they renters, one bang, two attached. Awful, awful subjects, but none of it matters, because Charlie is singing again. Uh, Michael notes that Peggy's still stuck on the cage, man. Um, Charlie just happens to be singing with an R&B group about how another man is trying to tear a relationship apart, which is definitely not on the nose at all. But after the song, which for me is Should Have Gone Platinum, a producer tells Charlie that it's not happening. His first dream of musical starship is shattered. It's all he ever wanted, you know? Like, how how do you recover from that? First, Peggy, raw-dogging a jerk, or being raw-dogged by a jerk. Maybe she raw-dogged him. I wasn't there. I can't tell you what she's into. First Peggy, and now this. He's in the fucking dumps. But for, for weird reasons, which don't quite all make sense, she's starting to feel sorry for him. So she visits him. The next day, says, I wrote this song for you. Um, I hope that the song was actually tequila and she's doing like a whole uh, taking credit for it thing. Maybe the Spanish flea or I like big butts and I cannot lie. You know, the love making classics on every Spotify playlist, if you know what I'm saying. Peggy bids a tearful farewell to Richard uh, because she realises in terms of where she is at time tomorrow is her 18th birthday, and that's when Charlie actually got her pregnant, which in her own words is the reason that they got married in the first place. So that's a nice birthday treat, isn't it? Raw dogged by Cage and um, being filled up with his seed like filling a car at a gas station. Richard asks her to change her fate and marry him instead, and it's another strong algebraic no from Peggy. Um, And instead she just goes to visit her grandparents because he wants to be rich anyway. Her grandmother imparts some wisdom and says that being young, it's just as confusing as when you're old. And things and things that happened years ago are on her mind more than things that happened in the same day. So you need to choose things that you focus on, which I think is probably one of the only real wise things that we'll get from the film here. Um, a lot of it is just just Nick Cage being ha- having a fucking stroke. Speaking of strokes, you know, <laughs> what, a, what a transition this is. Um, her grandpa says, oh, you know, if it was up to me, I would have taken better care of my teeth. So different strokes for different folks, you know. Um, if it was me, one of my probably regrets, which I didn't regret it at the time, but you look back and think, mm, yeah, you know, um, age doth make fools of us all. I probably wouldn't have let my hair grow to shoulder length. It's a bit fine. I don't really have the girthy hair to get away with it. I'm just saying, um, if you were of a certain age in the 2000s, when T4 was the hip show to watch and Vernon K presented it, he had this long, uh, luscious, bushy hair, right? And for some reason, in my mind, who just wanted to change, 
that to me was like the most fashionable and amazing thing I had ever seen, right? Vernon Kay's luscious locks, and now his coward who keeps it short all the time because of Tess bloody daily. Have some stones, man. Have some stones. Um, long story short, the super long hair didn't really work out for me. Um, you know, uh, forehead, it's, it's not receding, but it's not small. And, um, with my long strawberry bond locks, uh, a vicious wind ripped it back one day and someone said I look like Andy Pipkin. And the next day I got a haircut and I still think about that all the time. So Peggy goes with her grandpa to some, um, weird old man meeting at a, at a lodge. Um, this weird cult thing. They're all wearing purple robes. They look like the the stone cutters from that episode of The Simpsons, um, and they've got they've got these dinging bells as well, and they do a little dinging. And if you ask me, that's hogging code. Men are truly from Mars. Apparently, their unexplained MacGuffin Deus Ex Machina cult thing was founded on the principle of time travel. They can also activate it. Um, that's fucking time travel stories for you, though, isn't it? It's give it any old crazy potential ending because why the fuck not at that point? I'm certain it wasn't explained. I think it was her grandpa just uh, trying to get her to shut up about going on from the future uh, by embarrassing her. And they go through this whole seance thing. Lightning starts flashing. It's all very theatrical and atmospheric. Um, and somehow... With only three seconds of darkness, a tiny window of opportunity, Charlie just turns up, he swoops in, he saves Peggy. So the Lodge boys, they're like, well, I guess the seance probably works then. And they go on to form the Conservative Party, like the old kooks that they are. Charlie tells Peggy, like, he's quit singing, he's taken 10% of his father's business, we can take care of her. And he just proposes to her on the spot, but Peggy's like, look, I don't want to know about it. I'm still livid about you cheating on me 25 years from now. But he uh, he does a 180. He gives her a birthday present. It's a silver locket. And she thinks that those are her children that she has in the future. It mentions that she's got two children, but we only ever seen here from one of them. Who knows? Uh, but it's actually baby pictures of Peggy Sue and Charlie. So Peggy just flip side reverses it. Uh, based on this act of gratitude alone, she expresses love for Charlie, and we'll get into the late stages of the film here, and I know you were wondering, I know you wanted to know when we get into the good stuff, so let me tell you, they raw dog in a greenhouse. And not only that, um, the raw dog is in fact so powerful, so potent, um, <laughs> she, gets, she gets hogged by Nicolas Cage to such a degree that she's sent forward in time. Um, so, you know, that's a thing that happened. So she wakes up, she's in the hospital, back in the 80s. Uh, Charlie is older, he's greyer, as we saw him at the start of the film. He's singing to her, telling her that he loves her, that he needs her, that him and Janet, the bloody bimbo, are over. And apparently, they just decide to throw this in, in this little gossip about Janet at the end. Apparently, she was foreign. Um, they decided to tell us for no reason, and Nick Cage said he got tired of translating things. So, uh, intolerance of foreigners, just a little thing they threw in there at the end. Why not? Why wouldn't you? So they spend about five minutes just apologising to each other, and then Peggy invites him over for dinner on Sunday. 
She said it's going to be her. It's going to be him. It's going to be the kids. It's going to be a strudel. Uh, so in theory, the perfect evening in, and they'll probably raw dog as well, just to top off the night the right way. And on that hopeful note, the film ends. Um, so that so so yeah, we oh god, I I, <laughs> I mean it's not like this is the thing, right? It's not by any stretch of the imagination a bad film. It's quite an enjoyable film. Kathleen Turner is brilliant in it. She's really funny. She's really affable. She's very charming. You really do root for her. Um, this is one of those films when, to the layman, to the everyman, you would have think you would be thinking to yourself. I don't really understand why Nicolas Cage was cast in this. There was no reason for him to be cast in this. No reason for him to do that voice. And some of you might argue that the performance is kind of ridiculous. And it's kind of at odds with the entirety of the film. Um, And as we said earlier, Kathleen Turner wasn't exactly happy about the whole thing. The director was just happy to allow his nephew to get away with everything. Uh, And you might say, oh, there's quite a lack of chemistry between the leads there. And the whole film just becomes about how a woman goes back in time to, for reasons unknown, forgive her partner that cheated on her in the future because he gave her a locket. So when you're supposed to understand that they fell in love again um, at the end, it's a little... um, a little odd. <laughs> it's, it's, like I say, it's not a bad film. It's um, it, There's good nostalgia in there for that time period. Kathleen Turner's really good. The script is actually quite decent as well. And it's a bit of a bittersweet ending, um, for better or worse. But um, odd. So odd. But obviously, as a Nicolas Cage film, it gets a 10 out of 10. Because of course it does. It gets a strong 10 out of 10 from me. Nicolas Cage, as I said in the introduction to this series, he makes choices, he makes decisions that other actors are far too afraid to go near. And it's so bold and so courageous that you just can't possibly disagree with it. It's so so empowering to see an actor go to such lengths to make such a memorable, memorable role. And on that note, that brings us to the end of episode seven. Peggy Sue got married. Uh, Kathleen Turner good. Cage weird, but also the best actor you've ever seen. Uh, Worth checking out, I think. It's one of the films I have to recommend again. 10 out of 10 as a Nicolas Cage film. I would debatably give this a bronze 0.5. It's close to a silver. Oh no, fuck it, fuck it. Let's give it a silver. Let's give it a silver. I think it's deserving of that. So next week, we move on to episode 8. It's Raising Arizona. Nicolas Cage working with the Coen brothers. In the 1987 film, it's going to be a good one. Really excited for it. And as ever, we'll just wind down things with the old socials, which I probably should have done at the top. But I'm so bloody excited about you having that little uh, really, really fucking cheap and probably illegal introduction. So search for Cage Rage, Nicholas Cage podcast on YouTube. Give the videos a watch. Um, subscribe to the channel. Helps it grow there. On Spotify, of course. Please consider sharing it around with anyone you think that might like it. Give it a follow. Give it a like. It really helps promote the show and the old algorithms. Twitter at cage underscore podcast. Instagram at cage rage pod. And uh, the Kofi account as well. 
ko-fi.com forward slash Daryl Edge, K-O hyphen F-I forward slash D-A-R-R-Y-L-E-D-G-E. Um, if you enjoy what we do here, and if you can, no pressure, no pressure at all to support the show, then, but really, really appreciate it. But again, thank you for listening. If you have been, always a pleasure to have you on board as we march along on the train to true Cage Nirvana, and we'll see you in the next one. But until then, keep on, keep on caging. Uh, bye.